Fanfare, fanfare, big horns, oh my god, can you believe it? It's the Big Bang Theory event of the century. It happened probably, I don't know, ten years ago by regular people's time, but Kyle, the big moment that we've been waiting for, it's happened. Two people that have been begrudgingly accepting their relationship with each other as they see their career options dwindle and their their romantic options uh, just go up entirely in flames have decided to settle for each other as part of an argument. Oh boy, oh baby, hot, hot heat coming at you. I don't know, we usually do banter, but hey, guess what? Uh, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is the Big Bang Theory Theory, where we watch the television series, The Big Bang Theory, and I assume that this was the season finale. I didn't look that far ahead, but boy, oh boy, there's an engagement. Whoop, 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 whoop. It's definitely not. Oh, are you fucking serious? No, I think there's at least one more episode this season. (laughs) Okay. I take it all back. Hopefully they break up in season six. Uh, Season eight is like a real just... Yeah, this is the miserable drama episode of this season. So there's one more after this. In the next episode, does Leonard reveal that he only uh, agreed to this because he was so turned on by seeing Penny in the ape costume, and that's not something that she's willing to provide on a consistent basis? <laughs> that would be that would be funny. Um, I think, uh, yeah, my prediction is they have to cancel the wedding at least once between now and when they get married, right? For, for this show to have at least four, five more seasons, absolutely. That, that Something must throw a wrench into it. Well, speaking of, uh, this episode today is, yeah, season seven, episode 23, officially titled The Gorilla Dissolution, which kind of makes sense, but also dissolution is a legal term for divorce, and so it means the opposite of what I'd expect it to. But I know it's not just a legal definition, so hey, I'll let it go. And well, she um, was divorced from her role. Exactly. That's what I had to like. After a few seconds of having like a, a tightly squinched up, angry face, I had to be like, "Okay, yeah, I guess I get it." Big Bang Theory, yeah. And you know what? Before we even get uh, into the the short plot summary here uh i'm just gonna come out and say it the the ape costume not horny enough you know if it's supposed to be some sort of terrible exploitation horny horror movie not a horny enough horny enough ape all right okay see you next week yeah both not horny enough on the one hand and then not disgusting enough on the other hand right it's like you gotta pick a lane you can't I mean, I know the whole point is it's supposed to look like a cheap movie, but even people who make cheap movies, they have standards these days. I guess that's the point of the episode is that uh, the whole filming, like I think Penny has the right attitude in this episode, which you're going to summarize. But and then everything, the director is the one who uh, I feel like is. Uh, you you don't think his heart's in it? You don't think he's going well, no, his for his obviously the not gold? In it, but that's the part that I think is well. Summarize the episode. All right. Well, I won't even bother. I'm going to rely on the fish. What the fuck? Kyle, this aggression. I don't know. It just, I, my tone, it just felt like that's where it had to go. I didn't mean to sound so annoyed. Listeners. So I was like, if I'm going to sound so annoyed, I might as well lean into it. You know, it could just be in our heads, but I feel like Kyle and I have both experienced some, like, midweek kind of dreary recordings where, you know, we're happy to do it, but it's also like, oh, God, the rest of our lives. Ah. And then usually on Saturdays, you know, because we don't love the show, we're still happy to do it, but there's always a negative energy. And today, Kyle is like, ooh, I feel good, I'm full of spice, let's do it. Uh, and this is this is where the real Kyle comes out that's like, come on, do your job, little bitch, we've got a thing. Um, and I'm, I'm into it, Kyle, I don't want to encourage it too much, but let's just move on. Um, the fan summary, uh, as Penny gets fired from her movie... Which is in a link, so hold on. I have to make sure that there's a separate entry for the, yes, there is, Serial Apis 2, Monkey See, Monkey Kill, has its own fan wiki entry. Anyway, Penny gets uh, fired from her movie and takes a serious look at her life decisions. Raj and Sheldon go to the movies and see Emily on a date with another guy, causing Raj to think about his relationship with her. Mrs. Wallowitz breaks her leg, and Howard and Bernadette have to become her caregivers. That is one of the better brief summaries, I think. And then nailed it all. So I've been playing Rogue Legacy 2, and that's fun, I guess. It's a lot like the first one, but better. Kyle, what's your thing this week? That I've been playing? I've been playing uh, Metal Ge- the Metal Gear Solid franchise. I just beat Metal Gear Solid 2 and had like real a real like regression to ch- childhood. The sort of thing that you talk about all the time, Nick, that no offense, I just don't 
get a lot of the time not like a it's not like an insult to you it's just like it didn't have to be if you didn't frame it as not an insult but here we are baby <laughs> no i'm just saying i don't i didn't want to i don't get you talk sometimes and it's very clear that like playing video games like puts you in a place where particularly the older games it's like i remember who i was when the first time i picked up this game and i remember how magical it felt and i just don't have that oh uh, sure um, except apparently of all games with Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty that's the only game that I've ever played again where I was like oh my god all of these feelings are still there wow I I, you know what is technology who are we as people why did that NPC that I really liked and was kind of cute have to die senselessly what is the point of war well, I'm I'm glad that it, this still has the the chance to affect you so dramatically. I myself um, have already played through on the Switch, uh, East Eight, I think it is, uh, Lacrimosa of of Dana, and when I upgraded my PlayStation Plus subscription the other day and saw I could download it for free on the PlayStation, I did. Because I want to see if it's even more exciting with a better frame rate. And uh, the feelings I get from hearing the music when you get to the the first island locale fills my heart with such a a thrilling sense of wonder and adventureness uh, that uh, I, I, I feel overwhelmed. And so what I'm trying to say here is that I am simple-minded and easily susceptible to the whims of these media manipulations, but you apparently have to have reality torn apart for it to be something that pierces your 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 cold shell. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm not... Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm superior, but that's definitely... Uh, there's, there's something going yeah. on there. Also, that game came out in, like... That's not like an old, old, it's old by modern standards. But sure. It, it, it's, it did not come out when you were a child. It came out when you were a full-grown adult. Yeah, I think when I was maybe 18, uh, end of high school, very beginning of college. Uh, oh, that was actually, I remember, um, the only reason, I think, well, not the only reason, but like the 98% convincing reason anyone bought Zone of the Enders is it had the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc on it. No, no, I was talking about Yes 8, this game that you're replaying now. Oh, that game! Yeah, no, I played that for the first time a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) This felt good. I'm not a big East fan. There's too many of those. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what fucking world that is. They do know how to make weird titles. Gotta give them that. But yeah, no, I actually, and I think we've talked about this, but I don't... Why does, of all people, well, maybe it's not... But Hideo Kojima kind of gets me in the feels. Like, I don't understand why... Like, but the Zone of Ender games, yeah, I never think about those, but those were huge too. It's like my entire childhood is just like Zone of Enders, Metal Gear Solid 2, Zone of Enders 2. That's like it. Those are were like functionally the most important games to me. And why? I don't understand. I don't know. It's you. So you're a little younger than me. So you were like the, the, the better age for that shit to hit you. That's, you know, like me playing Final Fantasy 6. You know, I've, for the most part, adulthood has hardened me to the point where I don't necessarily consider it a the greatest work of art that everyone needs to experience but it definitely hit me at exactly the right time where I couldn't believe what an incredible thing it was and some of those feelings are now you know forever hardwired into my brain so yeah I mean it makes sense good games too you know oh yeah I mean I do think uh I mean except for his pathological addiction to cutscenes, which is uh you know needs to be stopped at all costs like there's something weird is going on inside i swear to god that guy is some kind of can't just this is the last thing i'll say about it it doesn't need to be let's do whatever we want kyle but please this is so here's the weirdest part of replaying metal gear solid 2 is i was convinced that game had to come out at least five years later than it actually did because here's the plot of metal gear solid 2 is um without spoiling it too much but basically not even the plot the big reveal is that everything that you've done is part of a conspiracy to simulate a terrorist attack in new york city for the purpose of testing like the illuminati's ability to manipulate information and control 
unsuspecting people through the new medium of the internet and digital data curation. So it's like, yeah, yeah, this this whole unfiltered promulgation of data thing is really kind of freaking out the people who have been secretly running the country forever. And so they've built a big computer that's going to allow them to really, uh, really fix that and curate exactly what people are supposed to believe. But in order to do that, uh, you know, we have to test it with some kind of crisis situation. So we're going to stage a terrorist attack in New York City that will really get... I was like, Jesus Christ, Hideo Kojima, how bold of you to be commenting so soon after 9-11 and the war on terror about these tropes. And that game was fully written and going and about to be released in November of 2001. The changes that they all made were actually to dial it back. Do you think Hideo did 9-11 and this was like... It's it's weird how that... That's it's it it feels weird. I mean, right that like I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's weird that more conspiracy theorists aren't like, isn't it odd that the secret Illuminati group in Sons of Liberty is called the Patriots and then the thing that gets yeah. signed into law like two minutes after nine eleven is the Patriot Act? Yeah, they had to they had to change it for the the big final tank his name was originally metal gear isis and they're like no 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 but it is true apparently uh i and it's wild to me to think of the cut but uh the cutscenes in that game uh at the end were originally even longer because they detect they depicted like a full-blown like missile strike on new york city including like shots of the twin towers and like you know and the and uh and so hideo kojima had to like make a last minute it was actually it's really bold that it even because he went to his producers and they were like you you just can't release this game it's not going to get released and he was like yeah i kind of get that but then he went to the boss of konami who apparently at that time was a whoever is very different from whoever's running konami these days and was like Nah, it's fine. I mean, yeah, take out all the American flags, but otherwise, you know, I got your back on this. Let's do this. So, uh, very But yeah, apparently the the final boss fight of that game takes place, like, above the New York fucking stock exchange, and it's a katana sword fight, because that rules. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Apparently in the original, the only thing that would have made it better is apparently in the original version, like, the overhang where you're fighting is draped in American flags. So just the thought of how bitchin' that would have been to be having a katana sword fight over, uh, over, uh, the New York Stock Exchange while American flags are blowing in the breeze, it really, I mean, I get why they had to take that out, but that would have been crazy good. And now, I mean, I guess they sort of captured... The, it makes me want to... The one game in the series I've never played is the one that wasn't made by Kojima, Metal Gear Rising. And apparently in that game, the final boss is the president of the United States, you know, who uses, who uses nanotechnology to make his body all beefy. And, you know, he can punch your katana. And that's the final boss. And I'm like, good, solid through line for that character's arc. I guess we have to talk about this stupid show now. I like Metal Gear. I liked what just happened, you know, for these few moments. But Wallow, it's his mom is pretty fucking fat, right? That's that's worth spending more more of our life on. Here's how much. This is the last thing, and then I'll let it go. Uh, Metal, like replaying this game, like changed my feelings about how the the First Amendment. That's like how and the nature of free speech. Something that no number of philosophers have been able to do. But, you know, this fucking video game that came out in 2001. I'm like, yeah, no, information does need to be free. It is basically the form. It is a digital form of our genes. And to, too much censorship would basically be a form of digital eugenics. And that's not that's fascism, man. man. Yeah, my big moment was when. Uh, what's her name? I can't. Janet Jackson. When. Justin Timberlake whipped her titty out at the Super Bowl and people got mad and I was like who's to get mad at the expression of her own titty this country is turning itself inside out Ooh. um that we all have our different moments all right so anyway yeah Wallowitz's mom gets hit by a treadmill yeah and then boy they they eventually get uh, an in-home care worker when Bernadette and Wallowitz try to take care of her, and they're like, oh man, what if we try to turn this into some sort of analogy for what it's going to be like when they inevitably are parents and have a baby? 
and you know they have a hard time with it and then the solution is let's let's hire some in-home help but we have to make sure that there's some sort of weird racist power dynamic that's happening to whoever we hire waka 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 um so that's that plot uh i don't know if that's the b or the c and then what else we got yeah raj uh goes to hang out with uh sheldon to see a movie and they end up paired together because uh everyone else is like bummed out or annoyed that sheldon doesn't seem to be taking wallowitz's mom's injury seriously which uh seems fine i guess oh but when they're there they run into raj's girlfriend parentheses question mark close parentheses emily who is uh, clearly out on a date with some cool guy with a neck tattoo, and he gets all bummed out. Sheldon uh, tries to be, I don't know, somewhat insightful, and he's like, hey, you know what your problem is? Uh, You're uncomfortable being alone, and you desperately cling to anyone, uh, including me. Get the fuck out of my apartment. That's what this is really about. And then Emily, I, I don't know if they have a conversation that leads to this, but she comes over to Raj's place, and is like, oh yeah, I only went on that date with that guy because he wouldn't stop asking me, and so I just had to get it out of the way. But we're not actually dating, and I want to be with you, and I want to show you my tattoos, which I'm saying are in very sensitive places of my body. And I'm like, Raj, you're you're gonna meet three or four more guys that she just absolutely had to go on a date with before <laughs> before Sheldon's gonna be like, hey, hey. I, I think I think we have to have another little talk. But that goes fine. And then the main plot is, as we, I think, maybe very briefly discussed when we started talking, is Penny is on the set of Serial Apist. Will Wheaton, who I forget is in the film, is in the film, and I still hate him. Uh, he's not particularly annoying this time. He's just himself. And uh, Penny, in spite of... You know, being kind of bummed out that this is where her career is, decides that she is going to give it her all and lean into it as much as she possibly can, which does not jibe with the director who uh, is very conspicuously playing on his phone the whole time that the scene is actually being filmed. And when Penny confronts him to be like, hey, we should do another take, I think we could really up this scene a little bit. He's like, hey, no. This is just to get money, and I don't care. And she gets kind of upset and defended, and he's like, hey, be lucky that this is a bad movie, because you're in it. Because if it were a good movie, you wouldn't be. And ooh, boy, that's too much. And Will Wheaton quits in protest and is surprised, or threatens to quit in protest and is surprised when he is just as easily let go. Uh, They have a scene in a bar where they kind of, you know, lick their wounds and talk about the hard Hollywood lifestyle. Penny is pretty bummed out, though. And then eventually, uh, Will Wheaton bails because, you know, he, as a former famous person, as Penny points out, has no problem getting roles. And indeed, he gets a text for a new audition and, and bolts out the door. Um, and then Penny and Leonard go home. They're... It, it, man, you know, it's it was inevitable, but it's like... I. I feel like I don't want to talk about it because it is just so, like, not even casual. It's just, they're just kind of hanging out, and they're like, oh, man, this is a bummer. What are we going to do? Everything's fine, though. Like, our lives aren't terrible. But, hey, by the way, uh, Leonard, do do you want to get married? And Leonard is a little upset initially because he's like, you're just doing this because I'm the safe choice. I'm your brand muffin. I'm not anything that you're excited about. I'm just the secure option, which is some heavy shit to bring up immediately post-proposal. But then also he's like, what do you want? What do you need? And Penny's like, you. That's what I'm trying to say, stupid. And then they kiss. Uh, And that's sweet, but they agree it's anticlimactic, which is when Leonard, uh, as was spoiled for me by the image preview of the episode, uh, whips uh, an engagement ring out of his wallet that apparently he's been holding on to every day for several years <laughs> and gets on down on his knee to actually propose. Meanwhile, I'm like, you guys have had a couple marriage encounters and breakups and like, what, how, how hard did you have to resist whipping out that ring? How much did you feel it digging into your flesh, knowing that 
as she is drunkenly proposing that you have been waiting every moment for this to happen and that she's just dangling it over your head like a toy. Uh, but it goes well. And yeah, you know, like I said, I thought this was going to be the last episode of the uh, season, but uh, apparently not. So I genuinely have no idea what's going to come next. Uh, it's, you know, we, we already discussed they have to have a whole season to get married and whatever fucking highs and lows are going to come through that. But um, I don't know, like, is it are they going to have a bottle episode or a dream episode? Are they going to have another Christmas episode where it's clear that nobody was available to film together? Uh, anyway, Kyle, th- those are all of the, the broad points, I think. What are your thoughts, feelings, additions, etc.? Random. So regarding the uh, Wallowitz and his and Bernadette plot, uh, there was nothing particularly interesting or funny about that, but it definitely made me think about uh, it was like, if we were going to do a regular segment called bits, other shows that did a similar bit much better. Uh, it reminded me of how much I love that fucking Mac and Dennis move to the suburbs episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, easily one of their greatest in a long line of great episodes. Do you, would you want to describe the compare? I know what episode you're talking about. And so I'm well, going to say, that's Hey, also go about, off. Like this is about them. Like, this ep- this their plot in this episode, Bernadette and Wallowitz, is about them like uh, confronting the specter of their future domesticity, and like how much it's about how much trying to like live out the traditional role of a married couple with a kid uh, would drive them both crazy. And there was a moment where it looked like they were going to have a real funny knockdown drag out brawl uh, mm-hmm. when Bernadette comes back from the uh, comes back from getting a cup of coffee and a brownie, and he has a fight with her because she you know abandoned him to have a moment for herself, a completely reasonable reaction. Um, but then they just don't really have a big fight about it because, you know, the show doesn't have the chops for that kind of funny slash dramatic uh, at the same time encounter. So they sure. just moved on. And it just made me think of the scene, you know, the famous uh, sequence in uh, that episode, Mac and Dennis moved to the suburbs, where they similarly, this joke is that they've sort of somehow accidentally become a married couple in the suburbs, and then Mac comes home, and they have a knockdown brag, drag-out fight that is one of the funniest things ever, uh, including Dennis just yell, uh, Dennis just hissing, because I hate you! In, like, one of the best line deliveries ever. I have to go back and watch that one, because I do remember the 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 broad strokes and particularly the confrontation about the the special macaroni and cheese recipe. Yes. Um, but yeah, I have to I have to go check that one. You know, that's a show that I never really stopped liking, but I just kind of fell off of. And so maybe I need to go back and get, get another taste. You know, it has its highs and its low. It's never consistently. Uh, it's never consistently super duper funny, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. No, no I'll just keep living I'm my sorry. life. No, I'm sorry. I got a bad uh, podcast hygiene. I got a text, and I should not have glanced at it. Nothing serious. You monster. No, it's it's just I, I let it break my concentration. To go back. No, Read it's it always... for everybody. If you're going to get messages, everyone should get a message, too. <laughs> it's just a stupid text question. Can I just tell you about how much of my... I mean, I, mean, I guess you're, you're a lawyer, so you probably deal with this two in probably more awkward ways but just you know your friends will randomly be like hey can i just ask you a random tax question in the middle of the day with oh, yeah. context and i don't mind answering it's just like sometimes it's like it turns on a part of my brain that is the antithesis of anything that's like funny or happy in my life and it just kills you know whatever bit i was doing anyway uh no it's always sunny and filled it's just like it it can't consistently hit the same high notes over and over again because it's been running for so long but there's still at least one or two episodes a season that are so knocked down drag out funny that it that it makes the show worth continuing to watch which is frankly i think a better batting average than a lot of modern sitcoms that have had much shorter runs get oh absolutely that's um i a little horrified at at its longevity i'm like you guys know you'll eventually have to stop right like this is or maybe they don't i don't know maybe they're all going to be in their 60s and like 
pushing Danny DeVito around in a chair who's still going to be getting into wacky hijinks like trying to fuck people with a cane or something. I don't know. They did do an episode that basically acknowledged, like, how long are we going to keep this up using the metaphor of laser tag? And they were just like, nah, we're as, and the answer was basically, for as long as we still have fun doing it, was the That's answer. nice. Well, that reminds me, God. We're, we're also, Rob McElhenney has, is, owns a fucking football team now. Uh, and I think oh. that's just a gigantic money sink that he has to, you know, he has to come up with funds for. Yeah, is his team not doing great? And he's like, oh, I got to put all the goofs into the franchise. Oh, no. They're actually doing pretty. Do you not know about Welcome to Wrexham? I've no what is no I have no idea what this is no he so Rob McElhenney randomly had the idea uh he someone was explaining to him the rules of English football aka soccer I should have just said he owns a soccer team okay Uh, that would have been less confusing for you I, I I prefer to say football football yes uh, so he, who has only ever cared about American football, was listening to this dude describe uh, English football to him and the way fans get. And he had somehow the crazy idea, what if I just bought an English football team, a soccer team somewhere like where like a really shitty one? And I just put a bunch of money into trying to make it better. And uh, and so he found this football team in this place called Wrexham in Wales, which is like a very old, very famous football team, but is like has not had like decent luck in like 20 years. And he bought it and they've been making a documentary for the last two years about huh. his attempts to like renovate it and get new staff and like get it out of its doldrums and win a couple you know, trophies and stuff like that. It's a great, it's one of my favorite shows on television. I would highly recommend it, but I've, I thought I'd already had, I probably didn't. You forgot that. I. Oh, absolutely. That. Very likely. Uh, also, I should say he didn't do it. So he was like, I have TV money, but I do not have like, you know, uh, soccer stadium money. So he somehow in one of my favorite real life bits ever. And it's actually very much like an almost, uh, or always sunny plot he somehow convinced ryan reynolds who he was not like even that close with to go in with him on buying this football team and you know i think ryan reynolds is carrying the lion's share of the investment in that football team and so he's the one we get to watch have constant anxiety attacks every time they're sinking huge amounts of money into the team and so it's just so two things one i've never seen ted lasso but i assumed this is what ted lasso is about and then two, if Rob McElhaney, I hope, I hope, is pulling some sort of fucking long con prank on Ryan Reynolds, I would, I, I would die happy. It's, I'm, I'm a little frustrated that Ryan Reynolds, even through this conversation, has infected yet another part of my world. But if, if Rob is just like, I just need those deep pockets for some goofs, then, then I would be happy with all of it. Yeah, I think you should. I think you should. Try out the show on Hulu. I think you'll like it. Well, maybe I will. Welcome to Wrexham. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Better than the Big Bang Theory. Definitely made that point before. Uh, Moving on, I was a little, I was, uh, I was both disappointed, but I absolutely get it. Um, Because I thought, like, the Big Bang Theory would never do this. But there's a cool thing they could have done with Raj starting in this episode which is Sheldon gives Raj legitimately good advice, which is like your problem is that you're uh, you're immediately codependent with everyone who presents even the potential for a relationship with you. Why not just become like a different, more secure, more cool dude and then just wait for the, you know, you know, and then probably the problem will solve itself. And so if this episode had ended with Raj like dedicating himself to like bodybuilding or, like, long-distance marathon running or mountain climbing or something. And then, like, over the course of the show, from here on in, we got to slowly watch him morph into easily the coolest character on the show. And then the series finale was, like, him, you know, revealing that he's been dating a supermodel for six months and just hasn't felt the need to tell anyone about it. Because, you know, why brag? That would have been awesome. Kyle, I can't believe you dared to dream. (laughs) That... That That is what would have been a very good natural conclusion, exactly as you say, if he were to follow the advice. It, as he says himself, you know, uh, I'm just going to work on myself, you know, figure some things out. 
not a bad thing to do, but no, he he does yeah, just get what said, he wants immediately in, after the yeah, next in scene. The, in, as annoying as it is from a from a character perspective, I completely understand throwing out all plans when a hot redhead shows up and is like, "Do you want to see my my forbidden tattoos?" Like that would be a, that's a hard one to say no to, right? Well, I mean, so but how forbidden are the tattoos? You know, like if I see them. And she's like, oh, look, I've got a little butterfly on my titty. I'm going to be like, ah, I was going to get another degree. (laughs) Yes, but you are so much more jaded than poor baby Raj. Yeah, this is true. It it takes so much to get me to feel anything anymore. (laughs) That is... This is half of all Nick Hyde's stories are like, yeah, and then this annoying woman threw herself at me. But I was kind of, you know, I was thinking about how much I'd like to, you know, speed run Final Fantasy V that evening. So I was just yeah. like, yeah, sorry, lady. I got my priorities straight. By tattoo, so, do you mean you've got a series of surface piercings that if I try to run my hand along that part of your body will surely shred it apart and make me bleed all over, meaning I have to be that much more hyper-aware to touch the dangerous parts of you? No, it's not anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just downloaded the, the higher frame rate version of this game I've put 200 hours into. Yeah. So yeah. You, again, you have the opposite of whatever Rush's problem is. Uh, that's yeah that's you know what Kyle where I feel like I have throughout these discussions felt like I have over identified with these characters for you to tell me that I have whatever the opposite Araj does feels really good (laughs) (laughs) thank you I gotta say I this is a fucked up thing to say but i will just go ahead and say because it's true it is a lot easier to watch these parts of raj where raj struggles with his emotional loneliness now that i have like now that i'm in a committed stable relationship it's like i've i watched this i was like i have a feeling this would have like even though it's so poorly done i have a feeling all of this would have hurt you know some deep insecurity in me if i were still like not just single but like chronically single the way i was for when we first started watching this show so i have at least had character growth even if no one in the show has well i was gonna say that like that's probably part of the appeal or intent is to like you know other people who are like oh god i'm a loser and i i can't get my life together and when am i ever going to be coupled up again that you know they could commiserate with these these nerds who are so much like them, but where again so much of the show has been about us complaining that these are not realistically nerdy people at all, and that if anything it often seems to be lampooning them, which I've lightened up a little bit over the last almost eight years. <laughs> what is the purpose then? Is it is it for audiences to to laugh at them? They're like, oh look, they fucking. They, they don't know how to put their mouth on anyone else's mouth. They're all wacky. Boy, thank God that we're a cute little couple sitting on the couch having our average night together. Whew! Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've always consistently wondered what the point is. And they did it. So uh, there was an example in this episode of what I think of as the quintessential Big Bang Theory joke type that I hate. And I just don't under Like, to this day, I don't understand what it exists for who would laugh at it like what possible so the joke is uh it's in it's in like three parts or four parts or whatever penny says uh i've really committed to this role i've decided if i'm going to be a bisexual go-go dancing gorilla human hybrid that i'm going to be the best bisexual go-go dancing gorilla human hybrid i can be uh, you know, the best one ever, in fact, to which Leonard says, I don't know, the bisexual go-go dancing gorilla hybrid in Schindler's List is going to be pretty hard to top. And to which Sheldon then, so that mm, in itself. I, I didn't remember the super, joke, but now I remember where you're going, yeah. Yeah, not a, not in itself a particularly funny joke, right? Just sort of a more of a non sequitur. So I guess in an attempt by the writers to save the joke, Sheldon then goes, ah, yes, what a funny joke, because of course a bisexual go-go dancing gorilla hybrid would be quite out of place in a movie about the Holocaust. Again, true, explaining the joke, not funny, to which Leonard then lampshades and says yes, and it gets funnier, you know, now that you've explained every piece of the joke. So what was, like, what was that? I know I should be used to this by now, but what what function does that entire at like I feel like any professional comedian would be like that is 
the worst way. Like, if you're going to make that joke, that you not only made a terrible joke, you made a terrible joke in the worst way. So, I think you're right. You make such a joke. I think you're 100% correct. And at the same time, I mean, you ever talk to somebody that's not funny? It's it's terrible. It's awful. I mean, awful. you talk to me, and yet you make it work, but... Oh, Kyle, you're a delight. But I mean, like, you, someone who, like, you make a joke... And they just stare at you blankly because they're like, Jesus Christ, I don't understand how that scenario would be even possible that you've just put in my brain. This is obviously some sort of ludicrous thing that just doesn't exist in the world. And I will sit there like trying not to chew through the inside of my own cheeks being like, that's because I'm a joke. Um, and I, I bring that up to say that there are plenty of people who, even though I think you are rightly pointing out this is a bad joke with a really weak, tired structure, that other people aren't as exposed to that. And that uh, they're going to hear that and they're going to be like, oh my god, it is silly when it doesn't work and you point out how obviously bad it is. <laughs> and then they're all going to do it at work for the next fucking six weeks to each other. Like, uh, that, is that what, oh my god. Oh, I just had a bad. I oh no. Is that Yes, Kyle. Is that what this show really is? Is it just like is the delight that we're taking not really delight, but is this feel you were just saying that you wondered if the if the if the draw of the big bang theory was people feeling superior to the characters? Is are the jokes so shitty? Like, is that true of the very structure of like the writing? Like, is the writing deliberately shitty so that people can watch it and be like, you know, aha, like that's not funny. I could write better jokes than that, and it does it. Is it like a trap? Is it a trap? Is the is the whole show an ego trap for us by making us think that we ourselves are funnier than we actually are? I don't Lila Lulale, man. I don't know. It's like. I, I worry that you've gone too deep, but at the same time, you know, it's like, I, I think I've brought this up once before, and I can't speak to personal experience from it, but I was, I was hearing other people talk about, um, God, what even is the actual name of the show? It's the prequel to the Naked Gun movies. Maybe it was just like Police, police Files. Yeah, yeah, Police Squad or something like that. Yeah, and the the way they were describing it is that there were it didn't succeed because there were too many jokes that you had to pay attention to to get. And so you didn't have a character who, after every joke, would highlight, you know, either why it was funny or why you, like, remind you that this is a moment you're supposed to be laughing. And so it didn't serve as something you can just put on and zone out or have as background noise. And, you know, whether or not there's some sort of conspiracy to make people believe that they are superior to the bad comedy of the show uh i do think it's true that they do intentionally throw in some of these low effort things for people who just aren't paying attention and need to be like have their fucking nose rubbed in a pun or something like that you know it's oh i don't like it i feel broken now yeah, well, I mean, I don't know why it took this long, but hey, here we are, feeling I our feelings. Like I can't trust my own feelings of superiority anymore, and without my feelings of superiority, who am I? I hope this, you're recording this uh, not on New Year's Eve, but the New Year's Eve Eve, and I'm hoping that you, you wake up um, from a chrysalis two days from now being like, ooh, these jokes actually are funny. I'm beyond judgment, and I can just absorb good vibes written by whomever that I can just share with my pals and not have to think too hard about. So I don't hope that that would be difficult for, for our friendship, I think. But, you know, I accept you anyway. What else about this goddamn episode? I don't know. Uh, I think we've got... I, yeah, so Penny and Leonard are engaged now. And, you know... Oh, yeah. Like, speaking of ego, I mean, I thought the most... Re- like, you're right. Uh, it's not particularly interesting, but I did think that, like, the moment where he's, like, she's finally, like, we should get married, and he can't see that she's sincere because of his own sin- insecurities, I was like, well, that's kind of 
interesting thematically coherent it's like like leonard shooting himself in the foot because he just when the moment finally comes where penny's ready to commit to him he just he's convinced himself it'll never happen so completely that he almost bungles it uh yeah they don't they don't do that instead instead penny is just kind of like no you ding dong even though you're shutting down this real proposal i'm just gonna push through it this time which I'm not saying it's the wrong decision, but yeah, they they don't get into any of the stuff that Leonard just dumps out in his moment of stress and surprise, which, yeah, well, I guess that's why we have other TV shows. Maybe that's what this is. You know, you're wondering if it's some sort of low effort superiority conspiracy. Now I'm wondering if um, it makes you appreciate the rest of life more. You know, it's not like it's terrible to watch. It's not like it's hurting you. But then, you know, you can watch or do just about anything afterwards and be like, oh, right. No, this is what life's supposed to feel like. I've had, you know, I've got to go through the doldrums. And now that I can go outside and feel the wind on my hair again. Oh, yeah, no, this is this life is OK. Thank you. The big no, that's somehow too optimistic. Kyle, do you want to keep trying? Do you want to talk about nope, something else? Move on. I mean, we've already talked let's about go. like fucking Metal Gear and... I don't know. There's probably other things. Metal yeah, Gear. Yeah, that's definitely one of my recommendations for the week. But I don't have to talk about it anymore. I got it. Well, let's let's one. get into the recommendations then. I I came in with one that I was going to queue up already, and then I've had some a few different thoughts. But I'm ready to go in any case. Shall I go first, or shall you, Kyle? Absolutely. Go ahead. So um, I was originally going to come in recommending uh, First Blood, the original Rambo movie. So I watched that with a shout out friend Mac listener uh, uh, a week ago, and that was great. And then also before the show started, or maybe even at the beginning of the show, I was talking about how uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo is actually a really good time. But what I will really recommend is um, a different comedy show, uh, which I was I was a little hesitant to get into at first, but then ended up really uh, resonating with me which is uh, This Fool on Hulu. And the reason I think I was cautious initially to get into it is, and this is a very silly thing, and I did get over it, but like stylistically, it, it looks like a comedy that's kind of trying to be a dramedy. You know, it's not like the, the bright, saturated sitcom setup that you get in something like The Big Bang Theory. And so I was like, is this going to be one of those fucking shows that has exactly 1.5 jokes per episode, but is otherwise kind of a drag? And no, that's not it at all. It's, um, it's a, once you get over the color grading problem that I had, I guess, uh, what it's really about is, um, in the show, his name is, is Julio, but he is actually comedian, local LA comedian, uh, Chris Estrada, who uh, tears me apart because I saw him like in person at random open mics, and then he's famous, and I was like, oh, the layer between us is so thin yet infinitely impermeable. Um, but uh, it's just about him being like, uh, it's it's about, I think it's like really based on his actual persona, or at least his stage persona, of being awkward and uncomfortable but just really kind of owning it anyway and for example um he has a dynamic with his ex-girlfriend in the show where she does whatever she likes and abuses him and fucks around on him as much as she wants to because he has accepted and believed that he can't really do any better and the the weird every now and then interactions he has with her are are what he's really meant to, to be a part of and also another criticism of the show but not a real criticism oh, i can't remember the actress's last name maggie something oh god she's super hot like you know not like fake person model hot maybe but still super hot where like the entire time she's with julio i'm like julio i know you know that you couldn't be doing better and this is difficult uh but also uh maggie hey what are you doing what are you doing with this fucking chump you should be moving on too but the thing that i actually really like about the show oh and the whole general premise is that he works at a a non-profit that tries to reform ex-gang members that have come out of prison 
which happens to include his cousin Luis, and they end up living together. And so you've got um, that they're, they're, I guess, in like I don't know, South Central LA or wherever. And that uh, so you've got the uh, Julio, who has grown up into the super soft boy, and Luis, who is a real goober, but is actually like a hard fucking prison gang member guy. And boy, their their interactions get a little wacky. Um, but the thing I, I like most about it is, you know, uh, my my time away from L.A. as it grows longer and longer makes my time in L.A. all that much more fleeting. Uh, and so I, I feel like I cannot call myself someone who ever was a true Angelino. But nonetheless, um, I feel like it's a really, really good depiction of L.A. It's It's not just like palm trees and like sunset strip bullshit it's not all about people in the industry now that i think about it i'm not sure there's any sort of even mention of the fact that la is some sort of like big entertainment capital where everyone is like struggling to follow their dream or whatever it's about just like regular fucking people that live there <laughs> and even though um you know it's not serious it's it's obviously a comedy, and so it's not taking like the idea of gang violence super seriously. But the way it does just treat everyone as like regular people, kind of doing their best. Uh, I I really appreciate. Um, and I don't know. It's just really funny. It's like it's something where it touches on things like depression or whatever, but never in a way where it's I don't know like. It's never trying to have a real message, I guess. Like, these just happen to be aspects of characters. But, you know, even though Julio struggles with insecurity and depression and whatnot, you know, there's no part of the the story or any other character who is, like, making it their mission to make him better or whatever. That's just kind of who he is, and it works. Uh, And then, uh, I mean, everyone in it is really funny. Um, And in particular... Uh, the actor uh, Michael Imperioli, a.k.a. Chrissy from The Sopranos, who's also been in a lot of other things. Uh, irritatingly funny. Just like, he's not even a major character, but his delivery every time is spot on. Uh, it's, I don't know. It, it's, I would not, well, maybe, I was going to say I wouldn't quite call it an ensemble cast, but maybe it is. It's got like a lot of really, really funny people. Uh, and so I, I recommend it. Uh, this Fool on on hulu if you want la comedy stuff kyle your turn okay i so uh i have a really nerdy recommendation also uh kind of a problematic one behind the scenes but you know i'm just gonna go with it because uh, i rewatched it the other day and it was a really good fucking movie so uh i have a friend nick has met them who uh, who basically we bonded over our mutual love of Superman, the comic book mm. character, and like ninety percent of our conversations with each other are just like, uh, "Hey, you read that new Superman comic? Yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome." Um, and then every now and then being like, uh, you know, but I don't know. Doesn't this one thematically sort of betray the core principles of Superman as he exists an archetype inside your head? So we go a lot of back and forth and meta analysis and we go way too deep and too hard into this one fictional cartoon character. Uh, but that's just who we are because we're nerds, right? We're real nerds. We have our hyper fixations. You base uh, your personas entirely around consumerism that you have to demonstrate to everybody else just like on this show. You've opened it up, Kyle. You've been fucking called out. Please tell me more about your, your Superman relationship. Yeah, so... Um, as part of that, we were we were just watching various uh, Superman media and movies because they they're super into Superman, but they started out like as an adult, so they've just never seen basic things like the Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Uh, they saw the Man of Steel movie, but not Christopher Reeve, and so I was like, well, let's you know let's uh, let's watch through some stuff. So we watched uh, uh, you know the the nineteen seventy eight Superman movie. We watched man of steel. We watched, you know, all of the Zack Snyder Superman movies, uh, you know, and we had various conversations and stuff. And then I was like, you know, there was actually another Superman movie that came out that nobody talks about anymore because it just, it bombed so hard, uh, that basically everybody just forgot about it. 
Um, even though, even though I remember it being really good. And I think my favorite one of the friend, like, I think it's my favorite Superman movie, but I haven't seen it in a long time. So maybe that's crazy, but we should go back and watch that. Uh, and so we did, and it is, and this other person who is, who's very different from me also agreed that, you know, uh, problematic, but easily like the best live action portrayal of Superman. Uh, although that's a very low bar and that movie is 2006's Superman Returns, starring oh. Brandon Ruth. Uh, which, yeah, is is like the general reaction is like, oh, yeah, that there, he did place. That was a movie that came out, right? Uh, and so it did. And the reason it's problematic is, is too, it, it is basically, um, it was made by uh, that All the Usual Suspects, Brian Singer, who directed, you know, several of the X-Men movies and All the Usual Suspects, who we now know is like, was a major sexual predator of young men in Hollywood, uh, starring uh, as Lex Luthor, Kevin Spacey, who we now know was a major sexual predator of young oh. men. Acquitted by a jury of his peers, 100% redeemed, lovable, everyone has to get over it and welcome him back into our lives, Kyle. How dare you? How dare you? Please continue. Yes. So, uh, so you, that's a pretty high bar to entry. You have to be okay with both of those people uh, being in this movie to watch it. Fortunately, it's not like watching it gives them a lot of money because, again, totally tanked uh, and, you know, came out, you know almost 20 years ago now but uh that movie is it's just fantastic it is basically it is sort of like the the last jedi of superman movies in that it is not like super grimdark but is trying to have like some real serious commentary on like who this character is and what he represents for people and so the plot of the movie is basically like yeah classic silver age christopher reeve superman uh, flew in the space because he, you know, he got so lonely being the only uh, Kryptonian on Earth that he decided to fly into space on a pilgrimage to see if he could find any other survivors of Krypton. And so he basically disappeared for five years. And now he's back having accepted, well, not really accepted, but having had to face unequivocally the idea that he is the only being of his kind in the entire universe. And now he's going to try to be Superman again, despite the fact that he it's, you know, again, this is all subtle stuff, but it's basically implied. He has borderline crippling depression from the sheer loneliness of being uh, the only member of his species in existence. Um, And so that's what sort of, it's like on the surface, then it's a very like, deliberately similar movie to other to like the original 1978 Superman movie. It's like you've got Brendan Routh, who is a big, beefy, handsome man playing, you know, sort of awkward, lovable, clumsy Clark Kent who can't get anyone to look at him, despite the fact that he's like six, six. And then you've got uh, Superman who, who is uh, in this version uh, just so much better portrayed than uh, the Henry Cavill version from Man of Steel. And it has nothing to do with Henry Cavill. It has to do with everything the way around him is shot. So it's like this movie has several like really classic action set pieces that just work super well and you're never lost. Like, you know, faint, like the, the first big set piece of the movie is Superman just has to like stop a plane that is crashing to the earth. And it's like, you know, it's kind of a problem for him because, you know, he... He's strong enough, but he can't just, like, like if he tries to pull up on the wing, the wing rips off. Okay, so can he level it out? Well, now, okay, so can he catch it before it hits the ground? And it's, like, at every point of that, he's, like, zooming, and there are sonic booms, and he's, you know, but you're, you, you know, he's trying to minimize the damage, and he's, you know, he's, when he stops, he sort of floats gracefully in the air, and it's just this beautiful aerial ballet of watching this dude, you know, fly around trying to stop problems as opposed to just, like, becoming a big punch fest the way all of the Zack Snyder movies were. Um, So, yeah. Uh, And then, of course, Lex Luthor, played by Kevin Spacey, is just this brilliant psychopath. You know, Kevin Spacey plays a good psychopath, and he... Hmm. You know, he he just... He goes through the whole movie just making dead eyes at people like a shark... Uh, you know, and giving monologues about how he can't stand 
he doesn't like to think of himself as a god because gods are selfish creatures who wear capes and don't share their powers, whereas he's going to, you know, share his gifts with the whole planet, although it may kill a few billion people in the process, and he's definitely going to get his cut. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, it's just like watching him play someone brilliant and incredibly hateful. Uh, he's just and uh, just choose just the right amount of scenery he's so good uh awful person great actor hmm. uh and then you know his juxtaposition with uh with uh superman and i think they only have like one scene together in the whole movie and it is incredibly dark and difficult to watch uh but it is just so clever and appropriate so yeah so functionally the movie is just brilliantly shot and the way in which it portrays like Superman and his use of his powers and doesn't worry about the fact that like, wait, isn't he basically stronger than any problem he's going to encounter in this movie? It's like, yeah, yeah, he is. That's fine. Because the the question isn't, can Superman protect himself from harm? The question is, can he save everyone? Like even with his incredible powers, like if an entire city is like exploding around him, like is his super speed and power set enough to make sure that nobody dies? And so you're following like that aerial ballet, watching him try to like zoom around and like catch things and like put out fires and, you know, get people to safety all the while, like smashing the minimum amount of stuff possible is just, it's really impressive. And then the subtext of the whole movie is again, it's about, uh, it's about the way in which, uh, Superman, like, if he has a real weakness, it is not kryptonite, although you definitely get your share of that. It's the fact that he is kind of a sad, lonely dude by definition of how his existence works. And sometimes that makes him make bad decisions. Like, the, I think the one of the things that uh, I remembered watching this I was uncomfortable with the first time, and I think a lot of people were uncomfortable with, is a lot of this movie, he's kind of uh, a creepy stalker. Um, I mean, not, like, super creepy or menacing, but he spends a lot of the movie, like, just kind of following Lois Lane around and watching her, including, like, at her house when she doesn't know he's watching her. So I gave a much longer version of this monologue, but I'll cut it short. But basically, the short version is, in over the course of this movie, you see that, uh, you know... Superman's inability to let Lois Lane go and accept the fact that she's moved on in her life is not, like, you know, a good thing. You're not supposed to side with him on that. It's a sign of just how, like, his one real weakness isn't kryptonite. It's the fact that he's isolated by his very nature of who he is. And what's great, then, is that the solution to that is not that he gets back together uh, with Lois at the end of the movie. It's something else. Um, and so it's a much deeper movie uh sort of thematically than uh, i think most people were expecting or even noticed at the time it came out but if you watch it again like much later that's why i compared it to the last jedi which is another movie that if you only watch it as a surface on the surface then i get why it's kind of disappointing but if you think about like how it's engaging with the larger canon of who the characters are supposed to be and what the franchise is supposed to mean then it becomes a lot uh, deeper and richer and more interesting as a film. And yeah, my friend who usually has very different uh, ideas about how Superman should be portrayed in media than I do, uh, agreed with me at the end that it was the easily the best live-action portrayal of Superman uh, ever made. So uh, yeah, if you like that character at all and are interested sort of in the larger conversation about him as like, you know, a construct of archetypal, you know, American culture, then you definitely should give it a watch. Cool. So, uh, excellent, uh, explanation and review of why Kevin Spacey did nothing wrong. Why Brian Singer, uh, was, you know, Maybe we don't know how old he is. He could have very well been underage this entire time himself, in which case not only did he do nothing wrong with all these young boys, but he it's apparently he's some sort of prodigy, you know? So, yeah. Uh, I'm not... Sorry, I'm not trying to seriously say that's what you're doing, Kyle. I'm not accusing you of being a Kevin Spacey lover. It's, I love him so much that it, I project. 
Um, well, no, it is hard. It is annoying because he's probably he's probably my favorite actor to have his career justly taken away from him. Like a lot of the people, it's like this person's canceled. And I was like, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, really, like, I wasn't really like following them anymore. Yeah, this so. this shitty right wing homophobic weird beard wasn't exactly you know pushing his art forward for everybody else. But yeah, Kevin Spacey is pretty good. Just a fucking weird pervert or whatever, I guess. Ah, man, I miss the days when we were just talking about what would have happened if 9-11 hadn't as seriously impacted Metal Gear Solid 2 back when we had more frivolous, easier things to discuss. That came also... That, so, just to go back to that, I will. it is, like I said, I don't know if it's me or if it's really the way it portray, it's portrayed, but I would put that down as Metal Gear Solid 2 as having the single saddest NPC death of any game I've ever played which might make it the saddest NPC death of any game in, like, gaming, possibly, because, you know, I'm familiar with most of them. Man, I don't have anything that immediately comes to mind that I would I would even put on a list. Instead, what starts pouring into my, my brain are like, man, how deeply did I feel it when, for instance, even though she later turned out to be alive, that... Rosa in Final Fantasy IV was crushed by a giant steel ball. Oh boy, I'm sure that really did something for me. And apparently it was a guillotine in the Japanese version, but that is too sharp and efficient for delicate American sensibilities in which she must be crushed by a brutal weight. So it's not too, uh, not even graphic, too too disgustingly suggestive. You can slice, but you can't crush. Yeah, people supposedly got upset when Aerith died in Final Fantasy VII. I've never got, like, okay, sure, fine. But it's just, like, that cutscene is basically just, like, one set of Lego blocks stabbing another set of Lego blocks. So that that I think I can explain. Because, so, first of all, I was the right age for that one. I was, like, 14 or 15 or whatever when I first saw it. And, uh... I think the reason it stands out so much is, yeah, they are little, you know, Lego block people compared to today's graphics. Is that what you want, society? You have to have everything in HD for it to give you feelings? But also, I think, me included, to anyone that was, like, playing mainstream video game RPGs, really any kind of media, honestly, like did not expect a main character and obvious love interest to be offed. Like, whether or not the genuine connection was there, and in spite of the more rudimentary graphics, it was so shocking, I think, is what really did it. Um, And then I also remember people, at least... Yeah, I say people. I'm like, I remember one fucking friend being like, oh, that's bad game design, because you invest all that time into building up her character, and then you don't get to use her anymore. It's like, that's loss, man fucking get it yes yeah, so uh Mel Gear Salt without again without spoiling anything has a character that's introduced relatively briefly but you you grow it's easy to get attached to them and then uh they die and they're dead it's the one cutscene in the game that I feel like is perfect because their their death occurs you know they die in someone's arms and you just watch that person weeping uncontrollably over their body fully voice acted, you know, just inconsolable for like a good minute. Just like, and you're like, Oh no, this part, like I watched one person die and I just watched the hope for tomorrow. Just leave another person's body forever. Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to play this now while on the one hand, trying to avoid making any connections with some characters that just suddenly show up wondering when they're going to be taken from me again. And then also, I, I wonder if they felt as bad as I did when my cat Dwight died. I cried Aww. like a little bitch. And, you know, this is 20 years after 9-11, and so I don't even have the the specter of international warfare tainting my heart I didn't have to use any CQC to get through this situation. I just had to fucking sit with my feelings. But yeah, I'll look forward to that. Yeah, you got a you got a new kitty now, right? 
I do. His name is Jerome. He's so fucking fluffy. I love him. Oh, my God. Jerome looks cool. We like Jerome. You need to post more pictures of Jerome online. Yeah, that's something I just don't do and need to get better at for everyone else's benefit. Because I'm just not someone who has ever been interested in photographs or recording anything. But he is very cute, and the world deserves more. That's right. So... We don't actually really have a website anymore. I think we had a Facebook that shut down because it thought I was fake. Um, but I'll figure out a way to share photos of Jerome with all of you listeners. Maybe I'll see if I can change our uh, our album art on the podcast to just a photo of Jerome and see how quickly we get kicked off of iTunes. And if you'd like to contribute to Jerome's personal upkeep, you can always Venmo Nick at Hide Thoughts. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. If we're just going to keep advertising a place to send me money, that's it. That's how I paid for my haircut yesterday from the lady that I see regularly now. And it's the only person I've had this dynamic with in my entire life. And it's great because she's like, I know how you like your hair. So instead of uh, asking a bunch of questions that you can't really respond to because you don't know how to describe what you want. I'm just going to tell you about the on and off non-relationship I keep having with my ex who lives in the same building. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you fucking dish. And thanks for trimming my eyebrows because I'm old and they grow long now. We stop there. I don't know. <laughs> yep. All right, we did it.